This is Chris Hughes with the Christian Perspective Podcast with Chris Hughes, where we encourage our listeners to engage the culture with Jesus Christ. Your Chosen Truth Network podcast is starting in just a few seconds. So enjoy it, share it, but most of all, thank you for listening to the Truth Podcast Network. This is the Truth Network. Good morning. Thank you for joining us on the Christian Car Guy Show. Uh, Robbie is at a men's retreat. This is Bill Mixon filling in. If my voice sounds familiar, it means you might listen to the show the first Saturday of the month. Uh, We really enjoy you being here, and we want to remind you it's a call-in show, 336-896-0830. Um, I've got 35 years in the insurance business, so if an insurance strikes you, feel free to call in. We've got John Holland, who is a hog ride captain, which we'll find out a little bit more about, and Dr. Brittany Speed, who's an emergency room doctor. Um, Dr. Speed, say good morning to everybody. Hey, y'all. How you doing? Wonderful. Um, John is a longtime Harley Davidson motorcycle enthusiast. John, tell us what in the world is a ride captain with a hog? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you, Bill, for having me on. Uh, a, a ride captain is someone who is taking out groups, if you will, uh, on safe rides. That's probably the most concise way to say it. We have on our Harley owners group uh, rides, we have charitable rides or even just club rides. And we have intersections we have to be concerned about. We want to make sure that everybody gets through them safely and to make sure everybody is riding safely and the spacing is safe. And so the ride captains in the front and the back kind of mentor, uh, monitor those uh, rides to make sure everybody is safe and arrives alive. Now, over the years, I've had many a friend that was a motorcycle enthusiast, and some of them loved to tell me about all the different metal parts they had in their body and took pride (laughs) telling me that they would set off metal detectors anywhere they went in. So I would assume, Doc, that you have seen a few motorcycle accidents in your life. (laughs) A few, yes. Well, tell us a little bit about what you think we should know when it comes to motorcycle safety and uh, yeah, I'm wondering if I come up on an accident, what I should or shouldn't do if it's a motorcycle accident. Sure, yeah, and um, thank you again for having me on the show as well. I'm happy to be here. Um, and John, I'm sure, would know more intricate uh, movements as far as how the bicycles work best on the road. But in terms of safety for gear and helmets and all of that, uh, we, we see quite a bit. It's You're more likely to have a fatal crash on a motorcycle, but it can be quite enjoyable if you're safe about it. Number one thing that I would say is that the helmet is priority. You know, there's states that don't require it, from what I understand, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. And the helmets have saved more heads than I can count. Uh, Memorable one being if someone came in with half the helmet, you know, pretty much shaved off from being drug along the road, and you can only think that would be someone's head otherwise. So very important to wear the helmet, even if you're not required to by law. And most of them come with eye protection, that's in the shield, or you can buy eye protection. And 
the eye protection is important, just like the recommended clothing to protect riders from small debris that flies around. If they get in an accident, the, the leather's pretty tough, and a lot of those materials are tough enough to withstand some of the road rash, and they protect you from not only the sun, but again, the small debris that can fly around. So we always you know, tend to recommend the helmet and the, the eye protection, appropriate clothing for motorcycle riding, that includes gloves and covered shoes. Ankles and feet always get banged up if they're not wearing the appropriate shoes. And the high ankle shoes actually have seemed to do pretty good protecting those, those uh, lower extremities. And that's pretty much about what we recommend. Reflective clothing helps at night. It helps people see the motorcycles a lot better. And so those are the things that I would mention off the top of my head. Uh, as far as coming across the scene, scene safety is always number one. We teach it in a lot of courses, wilderness medicine, EMS response making sure that if you are stopped or you are going to stop at a scene, that you protect yourself, make sure your car is off the road, that you don't injure yourself in the process of trying to help somebody else, um, making sure there's no fires around, being safe with yourself. You want to make sure, you know, the patient is, you can ask them, hey, what's your name? Make sure they're talking, make sure they're breathing. You can check a pulse and you can find out how to do that simply online if you need to or take a basic training course and Call 911. If they're injured, you want to make sure you get the appropriate response team there. While you're waiting, you want to make sure they're calm, keep them safe. Again, watch the scenery around you. You can keep them warm. If they're exposed to the elements, keep them dry if you can. And don't try to remove the helmet. Leave them be. Keep them still if you can as long as they're in a safe area. And, you know, just simple training stuff. If you see something bleeding, you can put pressure on it (laughs) or a basic first aid kits in the car, it's always great to keep a tourniquet in the car and use it if you need to. But all of that's really good if you take a basic first aid class or training class too. So how do you decide if somebody's in pain laying in an odd position when to help them roll onto a more comfortable position or when to say you really shouldn't move? Well, I think the most important thing comes with the helmets and the head. You want to be careful with the neck. You can have injuries to the neck quite easily, and you don't want to move them around too much in that terms. But if if there's something that, you know, their legs pinned under something light, you can adjust them to be more comfortable. Um, Be careful if they look like they have an obvious fracture that's through the skin. You don't want to move them too much because bleeding can occur. But um, really just if they're in an uncomfortable situation, it looks relatively simple to maneuver and get them to a more comfortable position. I think that's fine. But again, it's best to call 911 as soon as you can and get the rescue squads there so they can assess the situation first. John, what do you tell new newbies coming into the motorcycle world? What, what type of advice to try and keep from getting into one of these accidents? Well, I think it comes down to, first of all, uh, not just hopping on a motorcycle. And a lot of times uh, people just get on a motorcycle. They might not even go and get a motorcycle endorsement. And I think they just think, well, I rode a bicycle when I was a kid or did a dirt bike. And now I'm just going to get on something with a lot more horsepower and torque. It looks great and everything will be fine. So I recommend uh, taking one of the many motorcycle safety courses out there, kind of give you an idea of the things uh, that will hopefully keep you from putting your bike down. And just as uh, Dr. Speed talked about all the safety gear that you should be wearing, and I, I'll agree with you, wearing a helmet, and I've been in a lot of states that don't require a helmet. You, you, you can take it off if you'd like, 
But I, if you look at my helmet, I've got plenty of dings and gashes from rocks that have flown up from vehicles. Uh, that would be really nice on my forehead if I didn't have a helmet on. And with glasses, same kind of thing. And even had bees hit me, and that would be great at 65 miles an hour if I didn't have eye protection on to have a yellow jacket come into my eye. So uh, the safety gear that you have to have, making sure that you've taken a course so that you get some idea of one of the risks that you're going to have with other vehicles that are on the road. And I know that there are a lot of folks out there that think motorcycles are dangerous. Well, they can be if you're foolish, if, if you're not prepared, you're not looking around and observant. But it also is that I think a lot of vehicles aren't aware of how they should drive around motorcycles. So there's always, you have to be protected. But I think there needs to be some safety around vehicles, uh, around motorcycles. Uh, now, we're about a minute and a half from our hard break here, so I may interrupt you. Um, Speedy, you know anything about the Good Samaritan laws? I do know somewhat about it. Um, it it'll differ a little bit. Um, you can ask me if you have a question. Well, I, you know, there are a lot of people that are scared to get involved in something when they see a problem on the side of the road. They keep thinking they could be sued if they stopped and they helped somebody. And I know the Good Samaritan laws are supposed to in some way make that uh, a much smaller concern. So I was wondering, I assumed you've heard or taken a class, you'd know more about it than I do. Yeah, so that's the idea of the Good Samaritan laws is to, to protect those who are acting in the nature of a Good Samaritan or attempting to assist uh, in good nature. Those laws do apply to some of the harassments you can come across, and you know, for a physician, it does differ a little bit, I believe, due to our scope of practice. But for somebody, you know, if you're driving along the roads and you witness a car accident and you stop and you see that they're unresponsive, you don't necessarily have to intervene in any other way other than calling 911 or making sure that they're breathing or if you need to start CPR. Those are things that are life-saving maneuvers. And the sooner 911 is called, the better you off, you, you know, the better off they are. So... You don't always necessarily have to intervene or be concerned that you're going to get in trouble for that. Sometimes it's very simple. And so, yes, Good Samaritan laws do protect people in certain situations. Uh, they understand not everybody is a doctor pulling over <laughs> to help, but you can really make a difference sometimes as long as you're safe about it. It always amazes me the traffic will come to almost a complete stop <laughs> and you'll be driving and driving and driving and you get up to the accident and there's no reason that everybody slowed <laughs> down to a bottleneck. But I appreciate both of you. We'll come back and talk a little bit more. And remember, we're a call-in show, 336-896-0830. Call in if you got questions or a story. You're listening to The Truth Network and truthnetwork.com. We've got two wonderful guests on the show with us. We've got Dr. Brittany Speed and we've got um, John Holland. And we're talking a little bit about road safety and motorcycle safety. Uh, one thing I would...
one thing I was thinking was that there are lots of times when I'm driving down the road and I'll flash my lights to warn other drivers that there's a particular hazard up, but I don't always think about things that a motorcycle rider would be concerned about, like gravel on the road. Um, John, what are some of the things that you tell new drivers on motorcycles and remind old drivers on motorcycles as a ride captain? What are some of the safety issues you go over with them? Well, you know, in the spring and summer when motorcycles come out mostly, right, we, we don't ride too much in the, in the winter, uh, but the conditions of the road. Like, so you mentioned gravel. Uh, the other one, which is very common, is grass that's been blown into the road by someone using a mower. Uh, and the, I don't think the homeowner realizes that with only two wheels on the road uh, and you're driving with the back tire, you're steering with the front, you can end up losing the bike as that grass becomes actually a lubricant on the road. So uh, that and then gravel obviously will be loose under it. Uh, so those are the things that we try to remind folks, look out for it. And we actually have signals that the road captains will have that are in the front when they recognize a pothole or even a two by four. There's a lot of times that you'll see folks that are hauling things in pickup trucks or dump trucks and things like that. And they might lose part of their load that you know is an object that you can strike. And if you strike something for that front tire, it can either eject you or it can, uh, as it happened to one of my uh, friends, uh, with the chapter, just recently hit a, uh, a two by four in the road and actually dented the wheel and blew the tire and she was disabled on the side of the road. So you try to do all you can to be observant of what's going on uh, as we're in these rides. We'll end up giving signals so we can try to keep everybody safe. Uh, Dr. Speed, what are some things you'd recommend that people carry in an emergency kit in their car just in case they come up on an accident? Sure. So basically first aid kits are great. Um, you always want to have some type of cleaning cloth or sterile gauze. It's easy to keep a large bandage in case you need to wrap something. Um, those are always good. Antibiotic ointment can be useful in certain situations, not only accidents, but just in general in the in the case that you have an, an accident or injury. Uh, tourniquet is one of my favorite tools to use in a first aid kit. Uh, the general public can easily apply one as long as you learn how to use it uh, appropriately. It could be used in the right setting to, to really save a life or a limb. Um, that's something that I would definitely keep in, in my first aid kit. Um, but those are just the basics, something to put pressure on, something to wrap and clean objects that you can use to cover a wound until the emergency personnel can get there. You know, when I started college at Boone, we got a lot more snow and ice and cold weather than where I normally was. And a couple things I started putting in was a warm blanket. And they've got these aluminum blankets now that will really keep somebody warm. So I make sure I've <laughs> got one of the aluminum blankets in uh, my kit. Uh, water, I rarely go anywhere now without uh, at least a couple bottles of water in that kit uh, in the back. Um, John, can you think of anything else that would be good to keep in a emergency kit? Well, obviously, flares or triangles would be great, especially when you have a low-profile vehicle. If that vehicle is down, uh, you'd want to alert the, you know, uh, the, the, the passing public in their vehicles that there is a dangerous situation and just kind of tying in back again with Dr. Speedhead with wearing the safety clothing, I was on a ride to Charlotte, or through Charlotte actually, and at 65 miles an hour in clear weather, a bike went down and the person was wearing the proper protective gear and got up and basically skinned the leather, uh, the leather gloves, got a hole in it from rubbing on the concrete and maybe had a little bit of road rash on the inside palm of the hand, but walked away from it. So that safety gear is very important, but we had a bike down on the highway. So you want to make sure that you have a way to alert the public when it's a low profile vehicle on the road. 
You know, another thing is if you see road hazards, you can call 911 and say, you know, there's a tree covering half the road, or I saw a couple cinder blocks, or um, there's other debris on the road. We can use the 911 to help prevent an accident. The other thing I'm assuming, and Doc, you may know this better than me, I would assume that those people on 911 know basic first aid. So if I call and report an accident and stop and I keep them on the phone, there are lots of things that they could talk me through that I might not know how to do properly. Yeah, yeah. It depends on who you get on the phone. Sometimes you get a, a basic um a transmitter, someone who will connect you to somebody that can help you. Um, but sometimes, yeah, they are versed in basic first aid, and, and it's, it's never a bad idea to, to have someone on the line to give you some backup and instruct you through a stressful time and help you make the right decisions in that situation. I sort of assume with some of the helmets out there that your field of vision is considerably less than what a driver's would be in a car. But that's an assumption. Do either of you know? That is an assumption. Uh, I wear a half helmet. There's full helmets. There's three-quarter helmets. And then well, you'll hear it affectionately called as a clamshell or a half helmet. Uh, most of the you know, vision protection that's built into a helmet it actually goes behind the peripheral vision to give you that. But you, you shouldn't rely on just peripheral vision. But you have the beauty of not being in a caged environment with window columns between the doors and the windshield that you can actually swivel your head and see pretty much 360 degrees. So uh, for most people, it uh, isn't a problem. Well, with, uh, you go up to the mountains and you're driving down the Blue Ridge Parkway, or you're driving through some of those roads up there, and you see one deer, and then you see three deer, <laughs> then you see four deer. You know, I was thinking it might be a really challenge to be driving a motorcycle and have a deer hop up in front of me. Yep. It's, uh, in the future, I think I'm going to do a little bit more light flashing when I see people coming <laughs> and I've seen a deer just off on the side of the road. Truth Network. Well, uh, we've got one more break, and we want you to call in if you've uh, got any advice about riding a motorcycle or enjoy riding a motorcycle, or if you've got a question, uh, 336-896-0830. Um, and it's always a little difficult to figure out exactly how to wind down with one of these, so we may cut you off in the middle of your answer, John, but how long have you been a ride captain? Oh, well, uh, at least five years. And how many trips do you design or put together in a year? Well, the, the chapter will have one basically one or two times a, a weekend. And how many guys will usually, or how many uh, guys and girls, how many folks will usually go out on a, a Well, group? as far as row captains, we, we want at least two, but that can happen that one person might be uh, leading the ride. But it just depends on the ride. We could have a charitable ride that has 50 other motorcyclists riding along with us. Uh, oh, okay. And so how would somebody join one of these chapters? Well, for the Harley Owners Group, you'd have to have a Harley Davidson. That's where we get the Harley Owners Group or HOG uh, designation. But there are other motorcycle groups as well. We will be right back. We appreciate you listening. Give us a call. You're listening to The Truth Network and truthnetwork.com. having just a few technical hiccups this morning sorry about that 
This is uh, Robbie's Christian Car Guy radio show, Bill Mixon, filling in. Uh, remember, remember Robbie in your prayers today. He's leading a men's group. I'm sure they are having a wonderful time. We've got John Holland with us and Dr. Brittany Speed. Uh, Doc, you still there? Like I said, we're having wonderful, excellent. Um, and I'm just juggling just a little bit here. John had some wonderful ideas he wanted to share about uh, information that he provides new motorcycle riders. Uh, I think another thing that we don't see enough of on the road is motorcycles understanding the spacing distance from other vehicles, even other motorcycles. Uh, there is still a stopping distance that you need to observe, just as you would not want to tailgate a vehicle in another vehicle uh, because there's a stopping distance that you've got to be able to cover if they hit the brakes. The same thing with a motorcycle. They're much lighter, but at the same time, uh, you still need to have that spacing, which is typically about three seconds. And then other motorcycles should not should not be riding side by side, but in a staggered formation if you have obviously two or more people. And the idea being that you have room to move side to side if for some reason there is an object in the road. And then also that being staggered, I can only be, I can be one and a half seconds behind the one that I'm at a 45 degree angle, let's say, because I still have three seconds in front of me from the other vehicle. So you can stay tight, uh, but you're still giving room side to side, but you have the three seconds in front as you are running this staggered formation. And one thing that I get asked questions about is, well, why have it so tight at one and a half seconds at, a, at that diagonal? Well, the reason for that, if you have too much space between motorcycles, you can get a vehicle in between and then you can lose sight of the other motorcyclists and you don't have that, if you will, strength in numbers that people can actually see the motorcycles as a group instead of smaller, low-profile vehicles. That's where most of the accidents happen is the motorcycles are low-profile and vehicles aren't used to seeing these low-profile vehicles. So as one of those people with four wheels around me, I should not try and move in between a chain of motorcycles. I should give them a little bit of grace and let that long line of 10 or 12 motorcycles try to stay together. Yes. And we should be uh, giving them a little bit more space than we normally would between us and a car in front of us. And we've got to understand that if we're following a group of motorcycles, that they may see some road hazard that they've got to be real careful about. And they might have to slam on their brakes and they can stop a lot quicker than those of us impaired with four wheels. That's correct. So giving them more space than we would with another four-wheeled vehicle is a good idea. Yes. Wonderful. Uh, Doc, how, how, you, you worked last night in the emergency room. <laughs> yes. um, 
out of the, all the emergency room patients that come through, I know you get a few people with marbles in their ears, but <laughs> when it comes to vehicle accidents, is that one of the biggest classifications of uh, victims, patients that come through your waiting room? Oh, yes. <laughs> I'd say it's quite uh, quite frequent. Um, a few studies, you know, they show six to seven out of 100 older adults and 16 out of 100 younger adult visits may be MVC or motor vehicle collision accident related. Um, in 2017, some of the studies showed that about 20% of the ED visits were related to some type of motor vehicle accident, and about one in five of those involves an actual injury. Uh, it's very important. Wait, did I did I mention that a helmet is important? Yes, yes. you did a good okay. job on that. <laughs> it is the most valuable thing I think that you could possibly wear. But it's it's quite frequent that we see not only motorcycle accidents but car accidents. And to be honest, a lot of the the motorcycle accidents we see are often not in error of the motorcyclist. Um, it's hard to see motorcyclists when you're in a car. We were talking about vision earlier and how the motorcycle helmets allow them to have periphery vision, and while I'm sure they need to be careful and diligent as well, it's up to the people driving the four-wheeled vehicles to also be prudent in checking their blind spots and to give those motorcyclists extra space because they, they do have different, I guess you could say, rules for stoppage and how quickly they can stop and how much distance you should give them. If you were on that motorcycle or your family member was on that motorcycle, would you want another car, you know, pushing them or encroaching on them? Give them their space. You'll be much more thankful you did if you don't get in an accident with the motorcyclist as well. So making sure that the cars give space to the motorcyclist and that we're checking our blind spots and just generally overall being a safe driver. In terms of that whole three-second stop idea, try it next time you're in the car. You know, see where you're at, count to three seconds slowly and see how much distance you've actually traveled. It'll be more than you think it'll be. I know we all think we can stop on a dime, but it's not always the case. So definitely, definitely frequent visits to the ER, yes. <laughs> well, my old Jeep hit 200,000 miles, and I took it to a couple shops to get some suspension work done. And the third mechanic that laughed at me and said, why don't you just buy a new car? I threw up my hands and I got me a new Jeep. And it's amazing to me with these new Jeeps, I've got a whole lot more blind area, but got this little yellow light that pops up that says, ha, 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 you can't see something. Now, I really wonder how well that little light does on motorcycles versus cars. I don't know. But I do know I went out and got some of those old-fashioned little mirrors that you can attach to your big mirror so that that blind spot went away 
and I just feel a whole lot safer driving down the road. So my point is, if you've got one of those fancy new cars with that little yellow triangle that pops up and says, ha, 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 there's somebody you can't see, you might consider getting one of the little extra mirrors that you can put on to, to make that blind spot go away. But more importantly, that could be a motorcycle that's in that blind spot. And we've got to, I know I've kicked myself when I, that little yellow triangle doesn't do anything as much to warn me as a picture of this great big truck and that I can see. Um, you got, have any idea how often you have people show up in the emergency room because they moved into another lane and ran somebody off the road versus a head-on collision? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm sure it's happened to most everybody listening here where you, you think you're good and someone honks at you, you didn't check your blind spot. Um, I actually grew up in the country, so... Daddy taped my mirrors, and I had to turn and look at my blind spots, so there were no fancy lit-up triangles for me. Uh, but I do think we get spoiled with them these days, and it is very easy when you're tired. I know on my way home from work, I have to be extra careful when I'm checking my blind spot, when I'm moving over. It's It really is a good habit to get into, and you know, it also is less stressful to drive on the road when everybody is, you know, patient and kind and checking their blind spots and road rage is another topic of discussion, <laughs> but uh, just just be safe and check your blind spots and give people time to move over because, yeah, people run off the road all the time and so you got to be careful. Wonderful. I would encourage us also to think about saying a little prayer before we take a drive. I do a good job of that when I'm taking a long drive. I probably, I definitely need to do a much better job of saying that little prayer on the short drives too. Um, remember, we're a call-in show. We'd love to have you call 336 896 0830. You're listening to The Truth Network and truthnetwork.com. How can you stop the rain from falling down? How can you stop the sun from shining? Welcome. We're so glad you're here with Robbie's Hobbies. I'm sorry, with the Christian Car Guy. Um, uh, give us a call at 336-896-0830. We've got Dr. Brittany Speed with us, and we've got John Holland. And John wanted to talk a little bit more about blind spots. Okay. We talked about in the last segment about uh, turning our heads, using the mirrors, and we kind of get a little lazy and just expect the electronics to work and let us know there's a vehicle in that blind spot. But there's a blind spot that sometimes we miss, and that is those window columns between the windshield and the front doors. 
And I don't know if you've had this experience where you've come up to a stop sign and you look briefly to the right or to the left, and then you start pulling out into the intersection and you realize there's a vehicle there. And the, the, the reason that you miss that vehicle is primarily because the vehicle coming through the intersection that has to right away is kind of going at the same speed as you are, and that column covers that vehicle. And that could be a large truck, not a tractor trailer, but it could be a pickup truck. Imagine how you could lose in that window column a motorcycle that's at 90 degrees from you. So it really means for other vehicles to really come to a complete stop at a stop sign when you're at a place where the, the other uh, sides have the right-of-way crossing in front of you. So just to make sure that there isn't a motorcycle in that path because then you're going to T-bone that motorcycle or that motorcycle is going to go into your side of the, the vehicle and there's nothing to restrain that motorcyclist. Uh, they're just going to fly off and it's, it's going to be up to the Lord's mercy on how they survive that accident if they're traveling at any rate of speed, actually. Well, how in the world am I going to do that in text at the same time, John? Well, you know, that's that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some things we need to just quit doing. And one of them is speeding. And another one is texting while we drive. And another one is being angry and yelling and screaming at somebody that's in the car with us. We need to take a really deep breath and remember that it's a privilege that we're driving down the road and not walking and take it as a job seriously instead of just a lackadaisical, let's just go down and not give any thought to it. Um, Dr. Speed brought up a topic when we were off air about holistic prayer. And I would like her to, to share a little bit more about that with me and let the audience know what she means by holistic prayer. <laughs> yes, we can talk about that. I think it might be better app for the second show if there's like a tune in as well. <laughs> um, but I would like to say that um, it, I, I feel more comfortable if I knew John was educating all the motorcycle riders because he's giving some really good advice and <laughs> it's a pleasure to be on the show. I'm learning some things. so. <laughs> Well, I'm glad to be able to help. <laughs> he is, he is uh, one. Of, he's my elder, and he's a dear friend, and he's um, one of the smartest people I know. And it's a pleasure to do anything with him. <laughs> too kind. Um, too kind. Well, uh, he he owes me five dollars. I'll get it later. I might even give you some interest. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so holistic prayer is is too long a topic to to slide in here. Um, well, it's more apt to um, kind of the community aspect of medicine in the emergency department. Ah, so okay. I figured we could talk about it on the next show. But by all means, you know, it's it's important when you, even in the scene of an accident, um, a, a good point that was made to me is that even if you cannot or don't feel like you can provide first aid to someone you come across in an accident, it's still important to remember that even being there as a kind voice, uh, someone to keep them calm can often help their overall prognosis or how things turn out. If you can keep them calm, you can always ask them if there's a phone number that they can call, some family member, if they may be disabled and not able to get to their phone. That's stuff that sometimes does get overlooked in the emergency department when we're stabilizing people initially is, was their family called? So sometimes even just being there for them, you can ask, do you want me to pray with you? You can say, is there a family member I want to get a hold of? If they're responsive, then that might be a big help to them, and they'll remember that. Well, one thing I'm sure all good emergency room doctors 
are able to do, and that is to be calm in a situation that it's hard to be calm in. And a lot of us need to just take a deep breath and realize that things will work out if we will think clearly. And for me, a little bit of prayer will help get me centered and will help me address all the different things that need to be addressed in a priority of the most serious to the least serious. Um, how, how, do, how does an emergency room doctor do that? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good question. We ask ourselves that every day, I think. But um, uh, I wouldn't say it was school, although it does put you through rigorous training and, and makes you dedicated. Uh, in terms of keeping centered and calm and sometimes prayer to make sure that you're in the right mindset, you really just have to trust the knowledge that you've been instilled and that you've worked hard on obtaining and remember that you can't. your face is what they're seeing. The staff that you work with sees your reactions, and so it's important to remember that you have to reflect, even if you're nervous on the inside, that you're calm and in control of the situation, and the patients can tell that too, and they're often in a very bad position. So uh, remembering that that's, that's your role, and really, I personally get excited when something serious happens, and I have to, to play that role because it's what we were trained for. So I'm I'm happy to make a difference, and you really feel like you make a difference when you're focused and, and do your job, I guess. Well, I'm very proud of my daughter, who uh, is a child life specialist, and she designed a program for the hospital she's in in the emergency room. So part of her responsibility is when the children and the parents come in all flustered and upset and worried and not thinking clearly is part of her job is to help get them centered and relaxed and less concerned than they were before um we are blessed to have them (laughs) yeah a lot of times we can make a situation worse when we're so flustered that we're not thinking clearly And in most cases, if we would take a deep breath and say a prayer and do that one thing we know needs to be done, dial the 911 and -hmm. get 911 on the line and show up, be in front of, and do exactly what Dr. Speed said is sort of exude a calmness, even though we don't really feel the calmness, uh, that we're standing there and we're giving the person some reassurance. I've got 911 on the phone. Uh, help is coming. You can be absolutely sure help is coming. And I'm going to ask 911 what we need to do so that you bring down the anxiety and you let the person know. doesn't hurt to say, I'm going to be praying for you while we go through this. Now, I need you to focus and talk to me. Uh, tell me what your name is. Um, tell me where you were heading. You is there a particular part that feels uncomfortable? And had the person talk to you and reassure them, don't get worried. We'll get through this. But let them focus on something in a way that relieves the anxiety and allows them to not be flooded by the pain that's there, but be thinking about what's going on. Any other suggestions? If you come up on an accident and you've got somebody that's in a lot of pain, what you should or shouldn't do, Doc? Uh, you know, I think we 
just to reiterate what we said earlier, I, I really liked John's flare idea, by the way. I don't carry one of those, and that's a great idea, just so that everybody around can you know, see the accident and be safe. Um, but calling 911, most important thing, get somebody on the line so they can get there as soon as possible. And say a prayer. If there's more than one of you, one of you have one responsibility and the other have another. One person talk to the person that's injured and the other person keep an eye out for the traffic. We appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate our two guests. They're two of my favorite people. And please keep this station and Robbie in your prayers. And keep an eye out for what's going on around you while you drive. Say a prayer for that person you see that seems to be agitated. Say a prayer for that person that just cut you off. It's a whole lot better than waving at them. We want to thank you for being part of our listening audience. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Listening to the Truth Network. TruthNetwork.com. This is the Truth Network.